get after it. Outkick 360 is back across the Outkick network alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Kuharski. I'm Jonathan Hutton, Lance Lee, Jacob Swanson, Emma Notstein. David Reed is the chairman of the board. They all make the show happen for us each and every day. If you're watching on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, we hope you'll like, subscribe, share the posts. Uh, we, we certainly need that. We appreciate you joining us live. If you're watching uh, later in the show, we certainly hope you'll retweet all of the replay links. And if you're listening in Fox Sports Knoxville, hit us up on Twitter at Outkick360. Gentlemen, good morning. Good morning. I was so inspired by the discussion of my shoes yesterday that I wore them again there today. There you go. Yeah. And I'll wear them every day from here on out until I wear them out. Paul, how are you? I moved on to boots today. Nice. I, now that I have a nice pair of boots, every time it rains, immediately I'm in the boots because unlike my previous pair of boots, these actually were. They're, they're actually waterproof. <laughs> yeah, they're actually <laughs> waterproof. I had a miserable night because it was stormy, and it wasn't the sun this time that had a huge problem. It was the dog. Oh. This is Finley here, and Finley hated this. And I was going between this thing where I was sympathetic, oh, this poor guy's having a tough, tough time, to, damn it, <laughs> leave me alone. <laughs> I want to sleep. So, so I really struggled between the sympathetic dad dog and the um, guy who wanted to sleep. I know Chad would say, just shoot him. Yeah. <laughs> Chad hates dogs. Do away with the dog. Put this uh, so dog where it belongs. I went to, as I went to bed last night, the storm was about to hit. And so as I got into bed, I, I told Claire, I said, hey, Brody, our dog, he's about to get up in the bed because he freaks out with the sound of thunder. And sure enough, like two minutes later, boom, he was, he was waking up. I was on the up. ground with him. I mean, he was shaking and panting hysterically. Teresa, with her back problems, is often on a couch where she finds the most comfort. I was worried about him to the degree that I went downstairs to her, and I'm like, he's freaked out beyond the normal Finley panic level. Uh, and he settled down a little bit, and I'm like, you good? She's like, yeah, I got, I'm going to go check on Simon. <laughs> Uh, my, so my daughter's teething right now, so I don't think it was a storm issue as much as maybe she was awoken by the storm and started, her mm. teeth were hurting and started making noise. And my wife has a much higher tolerance for her making noise over and over than yeah. I do. So I'm laying there, I'm like, D do you want me to go get her and just put her in bed here so she'll maybe go back to sleep? And it's just, a, a, there's a lot of, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. And I'm thinking, I'm hearing this and I'm going to be awake. Let's make the call at some point to put her in bed or put her to sleep. She's a heavier, <laughs> sleeper. <laughs> She's a heavier sleeper. Just a little bit of rum on the gums always helps. A little well, bit quite of frankly, another thing that left me somewhat. <laughs> She's a great sleeper normally. It's sleepless. very rare that she doesn't sleep through the night. Sleepless and tossy turny is the end of Michigan's performance where they can't hit anything. They missed eight consecutive shots, including one, two, three, four layups. And here's a hint for you, Juwan Howard and the Wolverines. If you can't hit at the rim, it doesn't mean you have to shoot all threes. And down two, you're allowed to shoot twos. I don't understand why. Like, is this kind of that baseball theory that uh, at home you play for the win and on the road you play for the tie in late innings? Uh, I don't understand why you have to shoot threes. They had two chances there. To tie the game, uh, I understand you're missing layups, but how about you go hit a layup? How about with a set piece coming, what would they have, 3.2 at the end or whatever it is, 
uh, and then you had .5. Why does it have to be a three-pointer? Why can't you draw up something to get a shot with some proximity? I, I hated the way Michigan played the end of that game. I, I can't understand, and I'm going to get grief for this. For the longest time, I, I appreciate women's college basketball. I really do. The reason I appreciate it, I'll get grief for. I think it's a more relatable game because it's played largely under the rim, and most human beings play basketball under the rim. It's played completely under the rim. Right. So it's a game that looks like something I can relate to. You know? Including my missed layups. Right. Uh, how, many yeah, and they miss, how many did Lady Vols have in their They game? were 11 for 29 from layups. Well, uh, they miss a lot of close shots, <laughs> which is where it needs to get better and, and where the distance, I think, is between the Yukons of the world, who also miss close shots, and the 64th team in the tournament. There's a lot more space still in women's college basketball, <laughs> I believe. But the men's game, to me, in this tournament, with the amount of missed layups... Looks like sometimes the, the women's game. And I don't see guys going up and finishing at the rim the way they should in traffic. And when when uh, Michigan's missing four layups in the last five minutes of a game, I'm infuriated. Michigan for the season shot well over 50% from three. That's why they shoot. That's why they shoot. Three. Again, though, we talked about this the other day. It's fine over the course of a game that you're shooting 50% from three in the course of a game. But at the end of a game, a 50-50 shot is not good enough if you can get a 90% shot from under the basket if you're shooting it like you should be shooting. Well, it's, they didn't take any bad shots. Like, they just missed. Yeah, how are you those, missing Those them? threes were open, uh, so I have no problem well, with them taking the Well, how are you missing the, the layups? I don't know that they missed a ton of layups. I mean, they missed shots down low, but Hunter Dickinson wow. was well defended. On a lot of those shots, he was just missed. There was maybe one that I recall that it was maybe four or five feet out. as a bit of an awkward angle that was pretty open off the glass that just missed, that rimmed well, out. I, maybe I'm missing. They're, they're, they're missing, they're they're missing shots the around the basket. Yeah, they're four feet and in. Those, those I would shots. have gone to Dickinson and tried to get something going where you, you get it into the big man, right? Yeah, and he was... Six of ten, five of ten. Yeah, he had missed, but he had missed a few. Or the, part of that zero for eight stretch to end the game was at least two or three by him. So he was not hitting when they got it down low to him. They weren't calling fouls at that point. So, I mean, I can I can understand if you get an open three, you take it, and it's frustrating. But I think when we're talking about the women's game, and I will say this about women's basketball, and I said it a lot that the product is is bad right now, and it's bad because. While the athleticism has gotten better, the skill level has gone down. And I, I would say the same for the men's game for years. I think it's coming back around. You're seeing the percentages now of free throws going way up. Two of the best free throw shooting teams of all time in Colorado and Oral Roberts this year. Three-point percentage going yeah, that's up. I think the skill level of the men's game is, is rising, and it's catching up with the athleticism. I think as the women's game got more athletic, you see a lot of the women trying to do things that they see in the men's game, and it leads to 11 for 29 from layup in a game because you're, you're taking a lot of crazy shots. Um, and again, while I think the, women are, the women's basketball game is more athletic, I think the skill level has gone down and it's made the product worse. It's starting to get a little bit better in the men's game, but how frustrating for Michigan. You're one of the top 10 offenses in the country. And you run into this, and you look at UCLA and the way Mick Cronin coaches, that defensive style, slow it down. 
the, the Pac-12 knows what they're getting. They figured it out. They lost their last four games in the Pac-12. That's why they were in the play-in game. They finished fifth in the conference. But when you get those one-off games that's not accustomed to that style, you can go on a run like this. So this was, this was a dangerous NCAA tournament team that no one was factoring in because of the way they finished the season. But when you get out of your conference sometimes and you're playing teams not accustomed to that style – it can lead to a run like this. Let me be quick, clear quickly. I'm calling them layups because what Pete Thamel tweeted out was a screenshot of their last eight shots as they're listed in the, the official play-by-play, I guess, where it categorizes them as jumpers, layups, or three-pointers, and they're categorized as, as layups. So officially, they're, they're categorized as layups. The other thing I had a big problem with, the, the first three that we're talking about at the end uh, from the top, the guy got the rebound, and he still had plenty of time, and he threw up, like, I think he, he felt like the, he didn't have a good sense of the clock. And he kind of caught the layup falling to the left and threw something up crazy where he could have brought the ball down and, again, gone up strong in a way. There's not enough going up strong to me um, and getting, getting yourself to the line, which is where there are only two points in that last stretch yeah. came from. Get yourself to the line, or try to get yourself to the line. Michigan didn't didn't lose for for lack of possessions. I mean, they, they had plenty of opportunities at the end of that game to win. Yeah, and look, I'm frustrated with the way Michigan played, but UCLA deserves a ton of credit. They're playing fantastically well, um, and uh, you know they're they're exciting to watch and very efficient. Yeah, it wasn't like UCLA took it and ran with it with all those missed shots and kept scoring. No. You know, it was right there, one possession game the whole time. I thought Wagner, uh, I thought the, the pressure got to him a little bit on, on a couple of those shots. The air ball was, was awful. He had a really good look, and I thought it was a good shot. He shot the thing naturally in the end and just missed it. He did hit two free throws. Mm-hmm. That made it a one-point game that was big at the time. But for one of their best players, he even had a, a straight-line drive to the basket that's really been his play all season that he just missed long off the backboard. One of those shots around the, the bucket you're talking about, Paul. But UCLA defends really well. I mean, you got to give them credit also. It's not like they're driving and dishing it off for a wide-open layup like you saw Gonzaga do in their game over and over. These were contested shots down low that UCLA did a good I, I job thought, against. Uh, with the size advantage, that's another reason I'm frustrated by the missing of the shots closer to the basket. Michigan should have been able to do more with its size advantage in this game than it did. So credit to UCLA for not getting beaten by size. If, if Michigan shoots the way they did last night against UCLA, they get drummed by LSU. You know, that they, they just they had an off night. When you watch them play, they normally hit some of these shots that they were jacking up and not getting close to, you know, coming in. Some really tough looks, some layups. Um, LSU played a great half against them early on in the second round and Michigan stood toe to toe with them for the for the duration of that game because they played their style and they used their length to their advantage last night that was not the case well at halftime UCLA had hit uh, some crazy shots and Michigan uh, was missing badly and so what did I do I ran and bet on Michigan <laughs> UCLA led what five led by five at half that was so, it something yeah like that. Well, and, and sometimes it, sports are just really simple uh, Michigan just didn't hit shots. I mean, that's we want to make it more complicated than it is, but Michigan was a better basketball team all season. They ran into a really good defensive UCLA team, 
that made it difficult on them. But even when they got open looks, they weren't hitting them at the clip they normally would. And for UCLA, they were completely bailed out by Johnny Juzang, who was the only guy who could do anything. Who, who rode the hot hand. At one point, he had 16 of their 21 points. Yeah. They had 21 points with, I think, three minutes yeah. left in the first half, and he had 16 of their 21. So he single-handedly, offensively, won the game for them. And came back from a pretty good twisted ankle, yeah. too, where he backed into one of his teammates and stepped on a foot. We know how bad that can be. Final four is set. Baylor takes on Houston, and Gonzaga takes on UCLA. FanDuel.com slash OK360. The website, you see it at the bottom of the screen, Great offer for new users this week. 40 to 1 odds for the final four. New users, you can go bet the money line. You're going to see the lines here, the updated lines. Baylor favored by five. Gonzaga favored by 14. You can bet the money line on Gonzaga and get the Zags 40 to 1 for new users. You bet $5, you win $200. All Gonzaga has to do is beat UCLA, and it makes you a winner if you're opting in to use FanDuel for the first time, FanDuel.com slash OK360. Look at the odds there, minus 1,100, and you're going to go win at that rate. I mean, if you haven't signed up yet. I mean, Gonzaga, a 14-point favorite in a Final Four game. They were only not favored by double digits in this game last night. They were a nine-point favorite going into that game. Um, That's incredible. I don't know why, if you're not signed up with FanDuel, I see these offers and I'm thinking – how on earth, if you're watching us right now, listening to us, do you not go to FanDuel.com slash OK360 and take advantage of that offer? Even if you don't do want to so. become a better, I mean, go in, win that bet, take the money out, go shop. Go go buy Chad's shoes. <laughs> yeah, you can right? pay for Chad's shoes. Zappos was uh, will help responding you do to our tweet yesterday. So you want to be the proud owner of these bad boys that I'm showing right now to the camera, <laughs> these Cole Hans that are – Retail value over $150. <laughs> no, no. You can make that happen quickly with that offer. They had a good conversation, I thought, uh, about the Zags um, in the studio show, which was incredibly long between those two oh. games. I, I was, I'm with you guys. Well, we that. have to Very get into your rant yeah. on we'll get into that. We'll get into that more. But they talked about, you know, if they win this thing and go undefeated, do they qualify as, a, as an all-time great? Clearly, they qualify on the list of, undefeated teams, which hasn't happened in forever since Indiana. So Mm -hmm. that's a monstrous accomplishment. But they were saying, you know, this isn't Jordan-worthy, and this isn't the the UNLV teams that that were were stacked. And, you know, I think you could throw other teams in there. It doesn't have, uh, you know, uh, Ewing or Olajuwon or – and, and I, I agree. I mean, it's a terrific basketball team. It's a terrific college basketball team. And these guys, you know, they've got NBA players who are going to have good NBA careers. And, but I think when you looked at those other teams that I just rattled off and a lot more that we could rattle off, you knew that those teams were – I had guys who were going to be NBA Hall of Famers on them. Um, and I don't think you look at this team and feel that way about it now. And that's not to insult them on any level. I've always said, like, your, reti- your requirement as a college basketball team is to be a good college basketball team, not to produce NBA Hall of Famers or anything like that. So this and shouldn't Mark take away Few from anything. is doing that. It doesn't take away from anything, no. But if you're going to r- r- rank it, as an all-time college basketball thing, I think also you look at 
who they will have beaten along the way and conference, especially in a COVID year, right? They didn't get to play out of conference and let us see them against other teams who I think they would have fared very well against. It's unfortunate we didn't get to see that. They will have had an amazing tournament run, but where do you place them amongst all-time great college teams? I'm not expert on that. Chad, you're better. I have strong context. thoughts on this, on, on your stance on this. We can get into it. Also, they, what's interesting is they had Baylor scheduled this year in December, neutral floor in Indianapolis. Wow. And but what was it, the point of Indianapolis? How did, was the, that part of a tournament? Yeah, the what, Champions Classic yeah. or yep. one of these things. They they yeah. they had Baylor on their schedule. Baylor had them on their yeah. schedule too. That would have been. And great. there's a chance we see them play for the national title. Uh, coming up, we'll get more into Gonzaga, what we think about their team, and uh, we'll give props to to Drew Timmy and also to Jalen Suggs when we return. We'll discuss the Final Four schedule. And last night and Monday night schedule as well with the long break in between tip-offs and how that's hurting ratings, quite simply. I mean, Chad, you were discussing the ratings before. I've got numbers. Before I've got numbers for you. the show started today, there's a lot to dive into on the schedule that they came up with this year, how that's affected uh, some of our viewership for people watching and deciding whether or not to stay up for the game, uh, and how that impacts everything moving forward. That's straight ahead on OutKick 360. Outkick 360 across the Outkick network. We are live from Studio G in Nashville, Tennessee at Blackbird, and there's Outkick gear for you available. Uh, hopefully we'll, have, we'll be wearing some here soon. Uh, you can go to outkick.com, click on the Shop tab, and it is 40% off until the end of March, which by my calendar is today. <laughs> So go to OutKick.com. By my watch. <laughs> By my watch. That go. is uh, 12 and a half hours that you have right now to take advantage of that. OutKick.com. And again, you see the use the code Merch Madness. You get OutKick 360 gear, OutKick gear, all the hats, the sweatshirts, the t-shirts, everything. It's available 40% off through today. OutKick.com. Click on the shop tab. Um, watching Gonzaga last night, early uh, in the early game, um, the efficiency on full display yet again, where we see a team, where first off, led by Suggs, who is just so smooth and efficient and collected as a guard. I don't know how you neutralize him to the point where you take him out of the game to then get after what the Bulldogs do. He's the key to everything, and he's so composed in, in every facet of the game. That's why he's going to be a to, what, top three pick. When you see him shoot, pass, defend, um, just the floor general. He's everything you want in a guard, and that's the engine to what they do and why they put up 90 a game. They're the best team. There's, it's not even close. I, I don't even want to break down Gonzaga, UCLA, because I think it's going to be an absolute blowout. And that's not to discredit what UCLA has done so right. far. The only team that has a shot at them is Baylor. And we're going to be coming in here next Monday, and we're going to do a full breakdown of Baylor versus Gonzaga for the national title, because I fully believe that's what we're going to have, and that's the game that we all want. We could have two blowouts on Saturday. It is, it is amazing. I, I do think Houston has a chance the way they muck it up 
to maybe make it interesting against Baylor, but I think Baylor wins that game in the end going away. Gonzaga is beautiful to watch. I mean, that is a, it is a beautiful yeah. style of basketball. Every single player on that team with how they pass. And I'm even talking about Drew Timmy. 23 points last night, eight rebounds, seven assists, three steals. He is incredible to watch. Now, he's annoying for the opposition, rubbing his handlebar mustache and gesturing to the crowd and flexing you know, every time he does anything. But he is a savvy player. It's so unusual that you have every player in a rotation that is as basketball smart as that Gonzaga rotation. There's not one person they bring in that's a liability on offense and defense from a mental standpoint. They all know exactly what to do in every given moment. I think they're in the discussion for the greatest team of all time if they can close this thing out, which I think they will, and win the national title and go undefeated. Paul, you brought up the fact that there's it's a shortened season. They didn't have the big out-of-conference. They don't have those marquee out-of-conference wins that you'd normally see for a team like that. I immediately think about UNLV in the late 80s, early 90s. I think about that 1990 team that won it all. 91, I think that team was on its way to maybe being the greatest of all time before they got upset by Duke in the national semi in the final four. They were undefeated. They were going to match Indiana in 76 uh, for an undefeated season. But something you brought up, Paul, really made me think that they don't have that Hall of Fame type player, right? That star that immediately you think of Georgetown in the early 80s and you think of Patrick Ewing. You think of the great North Carolina teams and Michael Jordan and James Worthy and those groups. But I also think about the two teams that they're most commonly compared to. 76 Indiana, for obvious reasons. Quinn Buckner is the one player that everyone would know from that team. He's one of eight players in the history of basketball to win a college championship, an NBA title, and an Olympic gold medal. But he had a 10-year NBA career. He's no Hall of Famer as a player. But he was the star of that 76 Indiana team. 2014-2015 Kentucky. Now there you have Carl Anthony Towns and Devin Booker, who both may be on their way to Hall of Fame careers in the NBA. So they have some star power of guys who went on to the next level and have done great things. But I'm looking at Gonzaga and Hutton, you brought up Jalen Suggs. And I'm thinking to myself, could Jalen Suggs have a Hall of Fame NBA career? Absolutely. Could Corey Kispert have a nice long NBA career and be a really good player? Yes. Could Timmy go on and have a great NBA career in the right system with the right team? Absolutely. Time will tell. First off, the next week's going to tell us a lot if they actually finish this thing off and win the national title. But what they go on to do in the NBA and how recognizable are these names to the common basketball fan just individually. But I'm looking at this team and I'm thinking back, even UNLV, Larry Johnson, is he in the NBA Hall? Of, is he in the Basketball Hall of Fame? He's the one guy. I mean, Stacey Ogman, great player. Anderson Hunt, a great college player. Greg Anthony, great player. But Larry Johnson's the name everybody's going to know. That's a basketball fan off of that UNLV team. So I guess my point is when you're trying to size up undefeated greatest teams of all time, it doesn't always correlate with the biggest star of the era. Yeah, and I'll, we're seeing that I'll, with Gonzaga. I'll pick it up and kind of go against my, my own premise um, in, in two ways. Even, even if they don't have what I was talking about, maybe that makes them better. You know what I mean? Maybe a better team if you don't have, uh, you know, Ewing or Olajuwon or Jordan Worthy. Um, and 
you know, let, let's set up a, a game, you know. Do you like this Gonzaga team against uh, that UNLV team head-to-head? Now, it's a different game. So, you know, you're talking different era, uh, you know, different, different style. There were two-pointers shot by that UNLV team, um, you know. But, but you know, what's, what's the spread on that game if I give you those two teams right now? UNLV versus this team? Yeah, it's a fascinating I exercise. I think it's Gonzaga you know? minus six. Really? If they played head-to-head. I, I'm trying not to let recency bias take hold here when I watch Gonzaga play, but I think they beat Kentucky in 2015. Uh, and I think that, that to me may be the tougher matchup. If you're trying to put teams of different eras against each other, that could be the one that is a toss-up when you think about that great Kentucky team that lost to Wisconsin in the national semi. But I'm putting Gonzaga up against any of those You've teams. You've got recency bias. I've got history bias, I, I think, in, in this instance. Uh, you know, but see, I, I do think that it's, UNLV is the comparison because UNLV was in the Big West. They had no competition. Yeah, it's a good comparison. In their conference. In and they're in the West Coast Conference with Gonzaga. So I think that's the apt comparison because it is a good one. Kentucky ran through the SEC undefeated. And I think this was right before the SEC put down the edict to get better teams when they made that undefeated run. So they because they were a, that of, was a bad I SEC think it was that year. Same year. But still, it's the SEC. They prompted You it. go through the SEC season, even a down year, undefeated. There's that is an unbelievable accomplishment so uh, that was a great and UNLV is a good example because that's that's the um, it's that team or it's the UCL UCLA teams of John Wooden that Which people put as the number one too far era wise in terms of well, comparison yeah and the, the other thing about Gonzaga that makes them memorable aside from their style of play are the they have they have the characters and the emotion across their roster uh, our, our friend Ryan Brown, Chad, yes, uh, at, in Birmingham, at JOX, I think he tweeted this out last night. He said, imagine Drew Timmy on the early 90s Duke teams. Like oh, he, he fits perfect. the mold of Leitner and Cherokee Parks. That it, it, speaking of one of the greatest teams, like that, he fits that type of mold and he fits the college basketball style that makes the tournament so great. Um, that those are those are reasons why we'll remember this Gonzaga team. Uh, on the first is they're going unbeaten for the, to qualify for the discussion we're having. Uh, aside from that, you're going to remember the the types of players that they you know they're not just some boring team rolling out there oh, no. with one and done. You put him on Duke, he's absolutely hated nationally. Oh, of right? course. Yeah. Oh, he's hated now. I yeah, mean, it, he's I mean, hated by the opposition now. But no, it's the hatred's much more but not fierce. Nationally, I think if it's uh, if it's Duke. So I just went to yes. NBADraft.net, and I'm just looking at Gonzaga guys projected in the draft. Jalen Suggs projected third overall right now, NBADraft.net. Corey Kispert projected ninth overall. So that's two lottery guys on the same team. Again, I'm just going by NBA-type talent. You've got uh, Joel Ayayi, who's uh, the, the Frenchman. That's a starter. 27th overall in the first round. Drew Timmy. Early in the second round, 41st overall. It's four guys. And then you put Nimhard in there, who's a five-star prospect from Canada who went to Florida and starred and then transferred uh, to Gonzaga. That's a lot of talent. I, I think that people just naturally underrate the talent simply because it's not Duke, Kentucky, mm-hmm. one of those teams yeah. full of one-and-dones that are going to be top five picks. But that's four possible, maybe five, if Nimhart's going to get a shot, NBA picks 
not just guys who may make money professionally, NBA yeah, yeah. picks that are starring on this team right now. I think, I, I mean, all three of us expect them to go finish with two more wins. Then they lose all of that. And then it'll be fascinating to see what few does to reload that team and what they do next year following this national championship. We expect them to win. Because that, that's the next thing, right? I mean, sure. they're not having problems recruiting. Obviously, they're national power. But uh, national championship is a whole new well, So, Well, that goes for three of the four teams right now in the Final Four. Yeah. Only one team in the Final Four has won a national title. I mean, when was their last bad season? Like, what even is a bad season? Well, what is it? They're the now? first team ever to win 30 games six years They've in a row. They've been to six straight Sweet 16s. 30 wins. I mean, name name another program, even big time, yeah. that's got that level of consistency, not just regular season, but in the tournament. Because the knock with Mark Few before was, oh, they're going to be great, and they're going to get a, a a top four seed, and they're going to lose in the second round, you know, for, for a number of years. But this is a team that not only excels in the regular season, they get to the tournament and have big-time success now. So one big big conference generally, too, no? Yes. Sometimes St. Mary's. Right. It's, it's usually either them – or them and St. Mary's that can get an at-large. So play. I mean, they're so St. Mary's good. had some ten, some ten seeds, eight, nine seeds because in the they beat Gonzaga those years, right. and because Gonzaga raised the profile of that right. conference. Right, but there are ways for a team like that to have a slip-up year and not get in, and it's unheard of there, right? I mean, they're getting well. In. It's every year Gonzaga is the one team that could lose the the West Coast Conference tournament and be fine, right, and still get a bid. So. I'm sure that conference is rooting for Gonzaga to lose in that tournament so, so they, they get, get two, two bids. Right. Because Gonzaga's always going to be in. I, I am a bit surprised that, but because we, we referenced this last week, the number one overall seed in the entire tournament is the fan favorite. And Never because happened. of that, I'm a bit surprised that we don't have more of a clamoring of, this team is the greatest college basketball team we've ever seen. Because everyone in their bracket, what, 60% chose Gonzaga. I'm surprised so you're rooting, it's not higher. You're rooting for Gonzaga. Um, the, the other part is you're rooting for Gonzaga because they're, they're considered the small school going against the Blue Bloods, even though we're not seeing Duke and Kentucky in this term. We're not seeing Indiana. Um, I, I appreciate the fact that Charles and everyone on the national broadcast isn't just crowning them because they're on the NCAA broadcast for 2021. Um, so uh, I do respect that. But also, like, the, the fact that they're doing this and they've reached the level that they've been able to reach this year with, again, the caveat that they finish it out now with two more and with the dominance that they're doing it, uh, with the ease of play that they, they play with. Yeah, you mentioned that a, a few minutes ago. Um, they deserve way more respect than that. And, I, Paul, you mentioned the you have the – we have recency bias. You have history bias. So does CBS. I mean, there's a reason why CBS put Georgetown – as their marquee matchup in the second round on that Sunday uh, to watch them get drubbed on national TV by 30 points or whatever it was, 40 points. Historical bias. And they put bias. Gonzaga on some, you know, uh, true, true TV. TV. Yeah. Right. Historical bias and star bias, you know, so it's not a star player, but you got Ewing walking the sideline, and they love that. They you love know, it's, that. it's funny that you mentioned Ewing in Georgetown. Uh, I was on with Clay Travis on his Outkick morning show recently. And we were discussing the Gonzaga phenomenon. And he was comparing it to Georgetown. And he said, this, this is the modern-day Georgetown. Because Georgetown was a very little-known, it was a good school, little-known Jesuit school 
in Washington, D.C. No sports. Catholic school, not known for sports. And John Thompson takes over and turns into a national powerhouse. And now you got a Jesuit school in the Pacific Northwest and Gonzaga. Granted, they had success in, in 99 making that Sweet 16 mm -hmm. run. And John Stockton was an alum. But Mark Few takes over and turns it into this national juggernaut. So I think there are some, there are some similarities, but Georgetown's in Washington, D.C., right? A big city. Gonzaga's in Spokane. I also think you hear, it's funny when you hear people talk about just geography and places in America. And last night, I think it was Kevin Harlan on the Gonzaga call, he's talking about Ayayi, who's from Bordeaux, France, and how everybody's asking, what's it like to be in this small town of Spokane, Washington? <laughs> And I'm thinking, I've heard of Spokane, Washington. It's not the smallest town in America. There are things to do there. And he said, oh, it's very similar to Bordeaux, where he's from in, in France. He said, it's actually, you know, very close to it. I, I felt very comfortable there. And I hear people talk about Spokane being a small town. I'm thinking, have you been to Starkville, Mississippi? Have you been to Auburn, Alabama? There are some big schools that are in some very small places compared they, to Spokane, Washington, which is a little school in a decent size they, town. They miscast it as a small town, and what they mean is a far off, far town. away, far away yeah. town. It's tucked in a corner of America. Yeah, that's the difference. And they recruit nationally. Yeah, they drew Timmy from Texas. Well, they've had you know international success over the years. They've had success in Canada. You going and getting players. I mean, that's it is a national brand now. There's no doubt about it. This uh, they're hard the, to hate. The Frenchman before he came over, he uh, <laughs> he went and circled the Champs Elysees. <laughs> Hutton loves when I throw out I do. some some uh, French. Paul landmarks takes us on the tour of uh, Paris. Through Paris, he loves it. Champs Elysees and the what? What's Arc de Triomphe. There. <laughs> he, he loves all of it. Oh, uh, what I love is Fanduel. Fanduel.com/slash OK360. Right now, 40 to 1 odds for new users if you sign up with FanDuel. New users who sign up, you can take Gonzaga, who we're just talking about. They're favored by 14. You can take Gonzaga on the money line to win over UCLA. You bet $5, you win $200 as a new user with FanDuel. FanDuel.com slash OK360. And not only would you win $200 through FanDuel with a $5 bet for new users, you would also be able to celebrate with Paul Koharski because HEP would no longer be on the screen if this happens. Let me uh, correct myself. The other day I said that HEP looked like gold finger. I meant he looked like gold member. <laughs> gold member from the Austin Power. And he, and he does. <laughs> and I sent the boys this look last amazing. night. amazing. Is that not a you pretty good You also found similarity? the perfect picture of HEP. Where That's the, the only picture of the mask like covering the bottom of the face <laughs> looks like the mutton chops yeah. of Goldfinger. To be honest, that's the only picture or I can Gold find member, of him. Sorry. Which is crazy because for how much he's on TV, I would have thought there. I, actually, last night I thought it wasn't overbearing, though I did miss the beginning of the game, so I didn't. You and I had an over/under on yeah, what would be shown in the first 90 seconds. I don't know, I if, don't he know if he was. He or looks not. like your type of old man. I got to look at him, and I'm like, this seems like a guy that Paul would actually appreciate. my type of old man. He just looks like, you I'm know, like a, the old. a smaller sort of curmudgeon-y type old guy, like very serious. And I, I'm not good with the old. The only old people I know are my parents. The aged? The You're aged. You're not good with the aged? I, I'm very bad with the aged. I, I, my grandparents died by the time I was 11, and I don't have a lot of experience with the aged outside of my own parents who are in, in their... My dad's 91. My mom is uh, 86, 87. 
So I hate dogs. Paul hates old people and I children. I hate them. I, I kind of doesn't uh, connect fear, with them. Fear them a little bit. I got something that's going to make you happy. Hate happy even more. By the way, it's going to make me happy. Happy, happy, and hate happy even more. And that is uh, this did, graphic that we're going to show night. right now. Oh. That Hep, as a scout for the Braves, actually had a hand in the Braves drafting one of your least favorite athletes of all time, Paul. One Larry Chipper Jones. Chipper, oh, Larry. How could you not like Chipper? I, he's so red. He's, so, <laughs> he, he's just so incredible. Paul's trying to take things that are red, red and make Nick. it less red. He, he, he uh, He's just such a... <laughs> country boy, he's got so little substance to him outside of baseball. That's how I don't like. How many, also, the guy doesn't didn't he didn't win. How many baseball Everybody players have a lot of substance like to him? He win. I feel like baseball sometimes can be the least substantive sport out there with here's, players outside of the game. Of here's baseball. here's why I don't like Chipper, and this is why I don't like a lot of Braves who are celebrated. Dale Murphy, who people think is a Hall of Famer, just joke to me. They, they act like these guys are among the all-time greats and that they, they won, like they were big winners. These guys are big losers. If you go to the playoffs all the time and you never win, you're a loser. It's the same as when the is Mets. Winning, when does winning have anything to do with the Hall of Fame? You were talking about people wanting Del Murphy in the Hall of Fame. I was he was that. a loser. They, they weren't good when he was on the team, but there are plenty of great players sure. on awful Ernie teams. Ernie Banks. That are, that are in the Hall of Fame. All right, sep, sep, I'm separating the two. Dale Murphy was a loser on the loser team. And and Chipper, I mean, Chipper's the greatest guy ever. What happened to him in the playoffs? He won one time. He was there all the time. He was like the furniture of the playoffs. There all the time. And couldn't do anything. Except go to Yankee Stadium and get chanted at as Larry, not produce, and go home. If you spent the last nine years with the Baltimore Orioles, no offense, Hutton. It's okay. Hutton's team's the You're only. a loser. You're a loser. You're finishing routinely in last place. And not only that, if you're, you're a good a player, you've been traded. I have a hard time saying that uh, if you were a part of 14 or 15, whatever the number is, straight division titles, that you are, as Paul says, a loser because you only won one World Series. I just, I hate that you don't. It's a very strong word for a, a franchise that won an awful lot. I, I hate that you, and more than you, Tell me how you other, hate me, other Braves please. fans wave around those 14 or 15 playoff appearances like it's a giant accomplishment, when the purpose of going to the playoffs is to win the series and you manage one. It's not that big to go to the playoffs that often if you don't finish. How many other teams have done that? I don't care. I don't count those. I count World Series. You don't count something that maybe hasn't happened in terms of a streak of division championships? I, I don't count the Yankees' division championships or playoffs. So Aaron Judge That's right now, thing. Aaron, Ju loser. Aaron Judge has not gotten it done. He's a complete loser. He's not gotten say it done. It to this camera. He's a right loser. Here. He hasn't gotten it done. He's address, also, address this camera. Aaron Judge, all no, right. say, say it from all the right. He's a loser because he can't, he can't prevent himself from having soft tissue injuries. If he could prevent himself from having soft <laughs> tissue injuries, he'd be in the lineup and they would win. But he's always on the sideline because he can't keep his hamstrings from straining. <laughs> I love that Paul just called Aaron Judge a loser. I love that we got Paul to admit that Aaron Judge, by his definition, 
is a loser, even though no one else in the show thinks Aaron Judge Absolutely is a loser. I just not. don't, I don't relate to this I don't this think Aaron thing. Judge is a loser. All I'm right. thinking of a friend of yours in particular who I can't name because he's associated with our former employee who literally, like, probably has the 14 penance on his parents, oh. on his bedroom at his parents' house where I think he still lives, and he has the 14 probably with the hole in the one year they didn't qualify and thinks this is the major accomplishment of his life that his team won 14 pennants, uh, 14 playoff trips. And that to him is like, you know, a ring. And because of that, Paul hates Chipper Jones. <laughs> it all comes full circle. And because of that, he also hates Hep Cronin. Yes, this is all the mentality of, of Braves fans, and they, uh, they'll fight me to the death on it. And now I ask you, wouldn't you trade those four no fighting you on World Series titles? Like, I don't, I don't know where this. You're, you're dealing with some really stupid people. If any Braves fan wants to Thank fight you. a Yankees fan, that's it. Braves on, fans on World Series titles, really stupid. I mean, it's very not, I, No one's going to argue with the Yankees. I hope Paul gets his success. ass kicked by someone soon. Uh, I mean, you, you're speaking have, like someone I, who needs his ass kicked. I hope the have. Yankees get whipped by the Braves in a World Series. That's what I really you hope. You had a happens. chance to pick the Braves. You put, you, you picked the Orioles. I didn't pick the Braves or the Yankees because you guys are fans of them. That was the uh, that was the prerequisite of what exactly I did. And I've <laughs> so, been on I've been on record. I, I'm a closet Orioles fan. Always have been. Love the colors. Being a Tennessee grad, I love uh, Cal Ripken. I loved Eddie Murray back in the day. Even though he was a very moody guy. Eddie Murray was so moody. For those I that don't know, I, I wrote a letter as a, a free agent fan. Um, no allegiance to any baseball team. And every team but eight, Braves and Yanks. Eighteen, every team but the Braves and the Yanks. Eight teams responded: um, the Diamondbacks, the Rays, the Twins, and the Orioles. Far and away, the best response. And then the Orioles responded two more times. Cranked it after up. responding for the first time, and uh, they they made it an easy decision. I'm a Baltimore Orioles fan. This was also whenever Manny Machado was on the team a few years back. Uh, this was when they were actually competitive in some sense. When Chris Davis could make contact. They fielded Th major league players. Yeah, exactly. Also, That's he could actually touch the baseball. This they is fielded when, major league players. This is when time. Crush Davis had a bobblehead and you wanted to keep it. Yes. Right? Like it, this is when he was actually crushing the ball. You should not bring in the it. Orioles item for the show. Yeah, we do. They gave you everything. Oh, okay. well, yeah, you've got I'll, plenty. Yeah, I'll bring some in. They gave tomorrow, you so many things. Tomorrow, we'll bring in some Orioles gear just for us. Tom, one, one. Oh. Paul's, Paul's like, let's. Tomorrow, I'm going to come let's in. Let's not act right. <laughs> the whole thing's going to, everything's down. It's all Orioles. That would be funny as a prank. <laughs> a, story that you will, you a story you'll never hear on this show is the beginning of Let's Not Act Rash. <laughs> oh, I'll That's one it. that you'll never hear. <laughs> I'll tell it in a VIP event. <laughs> Maybe in a VIP event. That'll be the uncensored part of the, uh, the VIP. I'll tell it, and we'll drop a lot of F-bombs. Coming up, our thoughts on Jim Nance. Hello, friends. Yes. He is re-upped. Just the name, when you say it, the hello, friends, and the name Jim Nance, it calms me in a certain way. <laughs> we'll, we'll discuss. Yes, yeah, this whole segment has settled down now. Outkick 360 rolls on. Coming up, why did Chad visit the grave of someone he did not know? That's coming up on Outkick 360. But God. first, we discuss the Jim Nance return to a long-term contract. We, we discussed this a few months back, that Tony Romo is getting paid upwards of, what, $18 million a year around that from CBS. 
and there was a report out at the end of last year that Nance was wanting Tony Romo money in these contract negotiations. Well, he's going to be back with CBS. He's, he remains the voice of CBS Sports. And, Chad, you mentioned it. Very calming effect when you think of the voice and the name Jim Nance. I agree, and I'm glad he's back on the call with, with Romo. I'm b glad he's back on the call as the biggest events that are on CBS. This will be a bigger topic at some point that we'll get into, but I think there are very few people in broadcasting now that have the gravitas of Jim Nance that every event that Jim Nance does is a big event. Every time you hear his voice. Now, it's a chicken and the egg. He's doing big events because he's done them for years. So when I'm watching the Masters and I hear Jim Nance, well, the Masters is clearly a big event. When I'm watching the Final Four and hear Jim Nance, well, the Final Four is a big event. But Jim Nance raises the profile of everything. When he's on the call of a first-round NCAA tournament game, raises the profile of that game. When he's on the, the call of the of a, a PGA Tour event in Connecticut mm -hmm. in April, it raises the, the gravitas of that event. So I just think there are a few people like him out there. I think he's technically very, very good as a broadcaster. I've never had any big objections to Jim Nance, maybe other than the self-portrait of himself that his ex-wife took in the uh, divorce. The oh, tie. the tie. And Paul's yeah. got a thing with the tie. But wouldn't you agree, Paul, that there's very few – People like that now in broadcasting that it's it, you know it's a huge deal when they're they're a part of it. Yeah, I mean I totally agree with you about raising the profile of a PGA event in Connecticut. If you flip by that on a ra random Saturday or Sunday and he's there or he's not there, that that makes the difference in the broadcast as to whether you think it's something worthwhile or not and gravitas is absolutely the right word with him but i do also think some of these events are are bigger than him certainly and there was a time and this maybe was before you guys were were keen to such things or or alive perhaps where if brett musburger felt that way and they decided to let brett musburger go in part to make room for jim nance really and, um, you know, people thought the world would stop spinning without Brett Musburger, Brent Musburger at these events. And, and it went on. And Bob Costas was gravitas for NBC Absolutely. at these events. Olympics. Couldn't I think go Costas, on I think Olympics, I think NBA without finals. Without Costas. Mm -hmm. and, the two things that come to mind. And the world went on uh, fine with Costas minimized and disappeared. And he's not that old. You know, Costas isn't a guy who needed to be put out to pasture. <clears throat> and so I do think sometimes the magnitude of that guy can be overrated um, a little bit. I don't know. Do we know the details of his money? It's not no. my money well, he, spend. Uh, this is something else I want to get out there. I haven't seen that. He's but absolutely, he deserves more money than Tony Romo. I, I don't understand where the debate lies. Well, Tony Romo does NFL, and that's yeah. it. And he's the color guy. Jim Nance is doing play-by-play -play and running, doing different events across the spectrum for CBS all year. Much more yeah, work. He's going from Final Four to Masters. Much more work. The reason involved. the reason that Romo makes that money is because he comes out of making that much money. So they're matching an NFL contract, so to speak, or getting in that neighborhood, uh, which is, you know, you could easily argue as you're doing it's silly. Yeah, I think Romo's tie, great, but he he needs more money. Jim Nance does than Romo. Nance with the tie is a 
silly thing. I think it's the one thing, the portrait also makes him look silly. He gives his tie that he wears for the final uh, March Madness game to, to his, he picks a guy that he deems worthy of his, <laughs> his tie. He takes off his tie post game and literally like tells the kid that he won his tie and kind of <laughs> puts it around his neck. He didn't tie well, it he won on a gold him. Medal. That'd be really weird if he said, turn around, let me tie this on well, you. Does he, does he untie it or does he leave the knot and just take give you the, the knotted tie? I, I don't know. This is a good question. I've always pictured him untying it and then just kind of, <laughs> you know, putting it around his neck. It's a bizarre ritual that should have stayed a secret. It's weird, because yeah. It, it really diminishes Jim Nance in my eyes. UW on Twitter says, I think that Jim Nance's partners have helped him too. We didn't feel this way when he was calling games with Billy Packer or Phil Sims. Hill, Raftery, and Romo made him a lot more powerful, Faldo. if not better. Yeah, uh, but the thing I about dis Nance, I disagree. Nance elevates, doesn't make it about him. He makes it about the guy he's calling the game or sport with. Yeah, I, I, That's the key. I had no issue knowing it was a big deal when Billy Packer was on the call. Or, or Phil Sims is on the call with Jim Nance. I, I, I think that Nance also elevates those guys. I agree. So, yeah, I mean, having, I think Grant Hill's terrific. I think having those, you know, good color guys around you certainly yeah. helps. But Jim Nance is, Nick Faldo, Jim Nance is helping that Faldo event. Is terrific. Just like the event being big helps Jim Nance. But Jim Nance is really elevating the event also. Something I thought about with Jim Nance, though, if you guys remember in the 90s, um, CBS had the Winter Olympics rights. What was Jim Nance doing on the Winter Olympics in those? I want to say he was figure skating. <laughs> and I feel like someone can tweet us and let us know. I haven't looked it up, but I'm thinking I, I remember hearing. Hello, friends. <laughs> Nancy Kerrigan and Tanya Harding. I think that Jim Nance was the voice of figure skating in that Winter Olympics. But I could be way off. But he was with CBS then, even in the early 90s. What was he doing during those Winter Olympics? Now, remember, NBC had the Summer Olympics. CBS for a time had the Winter Olympics. Now NBC has everything. Olympics. You should spend big on this this job with all these big events that you have and have a guy like Jim Nance. But I will say, like, um, you know, Liam McHugh has gotten some prime seats at some prime desks now, to which I said, who the F is Liam McHugh when he started at NBC? And now I don't give a damn that it's Liam McHugh. That, that job is not that significant. Now, that, that's a desk as opposed to a play-by-play -play guy, so to speak. But you, you get the gist of what I'm saying. Like, it, it doesn't matter to me unless you're butchering it who, who it is. You know, the, the very best is important and the very worst is important. Otherwise, if you're in that middle thing, I don't really care that much. Nance is listed as the weekend daytime co-host for the Winter Olympics in '92 and '94. Hmm. He's in the studio, but that's a long time ago. So he was—he was the—he was the Costas or Dan Patrick. Yeah, but that's only '92 and '94. I think I had that right. Again, this is Wikipedia. Well, that's what I said. That's when they had the rights. Oh, oh. Yeah. they didn't have the rights after that. I, yeah. I think around that time is when. NBC took over both winter and he summer. He was a relative kid. There was a time where I, I remember as a and kid the 98, watching it on CBS. The 98 Winter Olympics, he's the primetime host. So they had it. 98 would yeah, have been the last. Which is the right. That's right, because 02 Salt Lake City would have been the first NBC Winter and Summer Olympics. And so they had 02 Salt Lake City. That makes sense. So no, no 
No figure skating? I Liam was really McHugh, hoping. Liam McHugh, by the way. I was really hoping for the tie presentation at you, the figure uh, skating. You bring this up, Paul, and it gets me thinking about Liam McHugh. Liam McHugh both looks like fully grown man and like he was <laughs> just birthed. <laughs> <laughs> he looks like he's got this supple face of a baby. Where's he from? But yet he also looks like a fully grown man. It's a very interesting look. He's a handsome man. Where did he come from? But his face also looks like baby? it's never been touched by the world. Handsome man. And it looks like he just was birthed. And he's a, <laughs> as a fully grown man. Like, look at his face. We'll find a picture at some point. And it's like supple like a child. Now you say, but yet he's a grown man. You say he's a handsome man. But what yeah. do you think of him as a child? My, you're missing the point. It's, he's, <laughs> this is, I get myself in a lot of trouble here. It's a good <laughs> question, right? Did I ask a good question? His face, looks, thumbs up from his face looks, his skin looks new like a child. But he looks like a man. He glows. He's clearly a grown man, but there's a radiance about him. <laughs> Compare his skin to, say, let me think, Angie Withrow's skin. Well, very it's soft. Again, yeah, soft. very, the, basically the same. Like, very newborn, <laughs> looks great. It's terrific. Basically the same. Yeah. Uh, speaking of kids. Yes, let's get back to yeah, I want I want Chad to tell the story of why I'm flipping through Instagram story. Like through graveyard. And I see Chad. And his daughter Evie kneeling at a uh, at a tombstone. She's, she's embracing the tomb. And I thought, oh, is this the anniversary of a family member passing in the Withrow? Like I didn't know I was going to send Chad a text, and then I read the description. I found this pre-Easter, pre like a resurrectional yeah, right, yeah. anticipation. In, in fact, you you have no idea whose headstone this is, correct? Read no, it for me. Monroe. Uh, Perry. What's the Monroe Perry, who I believe passed Civil away War in 1960. Hero? I was born in the 18. I remember 1800s and died in 1960. So we're out for a bike ride. Let's leave that up. I yesterday, I'm, I'm running behind my five-year-old daughter, who's on her bike. Sorry about her wheels, vision. Trying to get her to get rid of the training wheels. Those are decorative only. <laughs> the, the glasses. She refuses to take those glasses off. She's been wearing them to school. She, it is. It's actually a pretty fun look for. Her. So she loves those it's glasses. A great look. She's been wearing that. So she just stops. That there's this in in Mount Juliet. There's this big graveyard right in the middle of this this bike path. Stops, keep it, keep it up. Doesn't say a word. Goes up to this grave and starts touching the marble like she has a connection to Monroe. What's the last name again? Hutton Perry. Perry. Monroe Perry to this man who passed away, and uh, it was a great mystery to me. Now after that, she did run around the the graveyard and started looking at other graves, and I was having to tell her like, let's not disrespect. The grave sites by trampling over all of them. It was a playground. But it was it, there was no announcement. It was just, it's like she was drawn to the grave of Monroe Perry. Here's she what I think. Got off the bike and walked right to that grave. When I see uh. this, I think this. <laughs> what is, what's that music, Paul? Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Could be. I think more of a, uh, isn't that uh, little hand an alien kind of, yeah. story? Well, it's also you have this mystical. I, I see the hand. And the way her little hand, her right hand, <laughs> see the way her right hand is, there's a certain like grabbiness. It's like tender, but also grabby. Now, here's, and here's this, what you have to worry kinda about. Kind of like Liam McHugh's face, yeah. tender, but also grabby. <laughs> <laughs> here's what you have to worry about, Chad. Two things. First, uh, you, you don't need a new medium in the family. Right. Uh, second, whenever you're you know, shopping at Target and you're looking at board games, stay away from the Ouija board. Yeah, no. <laughs> whenever you're gonna, bringing that home. We're not going to be doing that. If she starts, if we turn into Sixth Sense and I become, you know, <laughs> if I die at some point and become Bruce Willis, uh, spoiler alert for those who haven't seen Sixth Sense, 
Then oh, that's going to be a ruined problem. it. If she's talking to dead people, I was going to watch that tonight. Yeah. If she's talking to dead people, that's going to be an issue. I think this is the best photo that we've put up on the board. I think we should we should print it and have it on the shelf. I think it's better than gold member for sure and head. Um, and that was that was the best up until like, <laughs> three minutes. A year ago. from now, we just have Chad's daughter kneeling in a grave, and you know, if you just tune in, you're going to think oh, this is a it's a withrow. Hey, here's <laughs> a show. Here's a show idea. Let's move along, shall we? Tennessee Power Hour, <laughs> come on. Here's a show idea. It's for, enough family time here. Here's a show idea for Lance and and Jakob. Could we create a running slideshow of all of the photos that we give you? that just grows and grows and grows, and we run it periodically during a commercial. And that photo of Abby at the grave will just periodically run during a commercial on a loop with Hep, and uh, who did we give him earlier this week? Whatever, whatever, the, the fat kicker. So this ties into pre- previous show. He Hate V on Twitter says, were y'all listening to Old Town Road before the bike ride? This is in connection with the satanic shoes oh. with Lil Nas X. Maybe there was a medium connection with his ties to Satan now. And now Evie has uh, opened up some window into where she can speak to the dead. Uh, just to conclude Here the question we had, it was Uncle Vern on figure skating with Jim oh. Nance as the studio. Not host. often Uncle confused. Vern. But you've done Vern it. Lundquist, another great voice. Uh, coming up, the Tennessee Power Hour. A lot to get to. And we will speak with Chris Lee of VandySports.com later in the hour and get the details on the $300 million commitment from the university to its athletics program. Outkick 360 rolls on.